Um, all right. So are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Welcome family to the Legally Great Podcast. I am your host, Lori Lucien, aka Big Mama. Um, we have here in like an awesome guest. I've been able to meet her in the Boston space as a mover and shaker. She is an entrepreneur. She also works in an amazing, tough ass field. I don't know how she does all the things that she do. Um, and also last summer I met her on the beach and I, I, I was, I don't know if you remember, we had a slight conversation about astrology, just low key. Cause Mercury was in retrograde. Yes. I, I remember uh, the, the <laughs> random conversations on the beach. Yes. So listen, that's when I was like, I need to interview her. Like she needs to be on this because I'm like, it's great that we could be in such a lit situation, yes. but still connecting the dots of our lives. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> So without further ado, Tony, I'm going to let you take it over and let us know who you are, what you're doing right now, and how the folks can get in touch with you. Alrighty. Hi, everyone. My name is Toyan, last name Omosori. I am the Wanderer-in-Chief of Rome Loud. Uh, Rome Loud is a premium activewear and athleisure brand um, apparel currently for women. We will be expanding soon, but you can check out um, our collection on uh, romeloud.com and Instagram. Uh, Twitter, we're on Rome. It's all at Rome Loud. So currently for me, I'm balancing two worlds. I am full-time, you know, business owner for RomeLoud.com. And then on the other end, I'm a social worker for the public defender's office. So my days are long um, because I'm focusing on everything that the, the brand entails um, from, you know, apparel and selecting apparel and shipping and uh, social media, marketing, interviews, things like that. And then on the other spectrum, you know, well, not going into the office currently because of the pandemic, but typically I'm in the office working around a 35-hour work week with clients that um, are either being held um, in jail or in the community and they need services. Um, and most of the time, um, my clients have open cases. And so I'm trying to help them. I'm trying to help their case by coming up with alternative forms um, of uh, sentencing. So, you know, for unfortunately for black and brown people, um, we tend to be jailed much higher. And so my role is, you know, what are some other ways, you know, that we can help this person aside from doing 18 months in jail? Wow, that's awesome. Thank you. Oh, I mean, I don't want to get into it now, but just because I'm impatient, are courts receptive to these alternate methods of remediation? Um, yes, sometimes. Actually, I'll say sometimes. Um, and obviously, my experience is different um, than other people within the state of Massachusetts, Rhode Island, or even you know across the U.S. I cannot speak for that. I can only speak for my specific um, city and town that I work in. Um, and for the most part, I'll say um, the judges are receptive to um, the suggestions that I make. Um, so, you know, sometimes my client might need residential treatment. Um, and then it's my, you know, task to find a program um, and get everything situated so um, we can then present that, you know, to the court. Um, or they might not need residential treatment. They might just need health insurance so they can uh, start working you know, on indiv individual therapy or they need health insurance for medication, whatever it is. Um, I am th that's my role. And for the most part, they are receptive. I think I can think of maybe oh, five or six times where, and that's, that's a little bit because <laughs> I've been doing th that for probably eight years. Oh, wow. I can't think about five or six times where you know, our ideas were thrown out. <laughs> and they move forward with whatever they wanted. That's awesome. So we have a pretty liberal. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, for anybody who ever thought, man, Big Mama, Big Mama be lying. I think that if you go back to the beginning of the tape, uh, when I said that this guest was amazing, you'll be like, yo, it's, these are facts. Big Mama don't be lying, okay? Um, I don't even understand how you can balance both of these worlds because of the emotional toll that it takes mm -hmm. on being um, an entrepreneur and working in that field. Yeah. Um, 
So, um, I, you, uh, if you want to talk about that, and then I'm going to talk about how you got into apparel and okay. how you came up with the name of the company. Yep, all the good stuff. Um, emotional toll. Um, I, I will not. I will not lie that it's definitely an up and down roller coaster. Uh, juggling the brand and and juggling work. Um, I mean, we live in 2020. Um, we see everything that's going on with you know police brutality and uh, black women and childbirth and everything. So that is exhausting in itself. Um, and then you have a brand that's is that's more encouraging and uplifting and supportive, especially to black women, right. you know, because our our messaging we're speaking to black women. Um, we're trying trying to remind them every time we send out pieces with messages that like, Hey, you matter, uh, navigate this, the world boldly, like no limits do you. So, so it's, it's two, it's two spectrums. Um, but for me, um, self care, uh, managing my days, you know, um, I've noticed I have a huge calendar right now. So I literally have broken down my days on like what I'm doing each day just to kind of make to continuously make space in my mind and in my days to, you know, with whatever I need it to do. Um, but it, it can be emotional. Um, but I think it's, as I said, I think it's important for me for the, with the self-care, self-care aspect, taking those breaks um, and then relying on my support team. I think I have a small circle, but solid mm. um, where, you know, I trust them enough to talk about the brand and, and the, hiccups and everything that goes with that. Um, and then just kind of having that honest feedback, like, Hey, you know, I think you should do this. or I think you should look at it that way. Um, and, and being okay with, you know, either taking some of that information or, you know, leaving it there, but just having that space to vent. Right. So it, it's, it's challenging, but it's both, it's worth it. It is. You said some key things. And I think one is that you need to take, do engage in self care. Self care is whatever it means to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second one is having a strong support system. Yeah, and it do, it doesn't have to be large, right. but they have to be some people, a group of people that you can rely on, uh, and you know to hold your to hold your 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 confidence and privacy. Right, and not using everybody for everything. You know, I don't think I think it's also unfair to to dump, you know, on one person. Um, so I think that's why the, the, having the group is, is important because you can go to people for certain things, you know, and cause you know, everybody has their own shit as well. So, you know, for person a today might not be the day that they can take on my dumping, you know? Um, <laughs> so I think that that's important. That's true. Um, so th- those are, those are keys. <laughs> um, so now I want to get into your, to, to Rome loud. Mm-hmm. And how that how they, it came to be, mm-hmm. I know that's not what it was at first. So walk us through that story and your entrepreneurship journey with that with the company. Uh, um, I, I always like to say that Rome Loud. I would I I didn't I didn't know Rome Loud was going to be Rome Loud today. Um, I feel like it was a buildup of all my past businesses. You know those that didn't do too well, those that I couldn't do for whatever reason to, to bring me here right now. Um, I started, I, so Rome Loud, before it was called Rome Loud, it was called Gola Gal. And this, uh, this launched probably two years ago. Um, before Gola Gal started, I, was, I came off of another business venture um, that was an app and the app didn't, um, didn't launch because I was having issues with the coder. Um, and so I had to just sever ties and just not move forward with that, that app at all. And that definitely had me down and out, um, because I thought that that was going to be my break for, you know, all that I've been putting in, um, for the past probably five, six years in general with entrepreneurship. Like I thought that, okay, this idea is, you know, because now I know how to build a website. Um, now I have, you know, social media and marketing down pack. Like I, you know branding, fonts, all of that stuff that's needed or that you're told that you need, you know, to have a successful brand. Like I felt like I had led up to that. And so when it didn't work out, I was like, I was sick. (laughs) I was sick for at least like six months. Um, 
And I remember my sister, you know, I think it was probably like month six, my sister was starting to like encourage me to like, hey, you, you know, you gotta get back on the horse. But for me, I thought like, maybe, maybe this whole entrepreneur world, like maybe this isn't for me. Um, which is odd to come from my mouth because of the right. fact that <laughs> most people that know me know that like, okay, Toyin and business, like that's, that's her lane. Right. Um, so for me to have gotten to the point where I was like, you know, this may not be it. Like I, I had to have, you know, really like let go. Um, and so, you know, I, I listened to her, um, and I just, it took some time to like start doing websites. And so I was doing websites here and there, but I knew that that wasn't like my true calling. Um, sure. I knew I was good at it, but not, not, I, I couldn't foresee it as being a long-term thing. I knew that I wanted to create a brand. Um, I knew I wanted the brand to be product focused and I knew I wanted it to be for black women. I didn't know what it was going to look like yet. I just knew I wanted all those things. Um, and so as I was, uh, building websites, I just started thinking of just trying to explore the product world, the product based world, and just kind of, you know, looking into like, what does manufacturing look like? What does the retail industry look like right now? Um, and so I was, I saw myself slowly going over to apparel, like that kind of was resonating with me. Um, and then there was uh, one, there was a day where I had a, um, a friend had told me about a sample sale for athletic wear. And so I took advantage of it. And at this time I was, you know, I was in the gym and I was here and there, you know, trying to get back in there. Um, and so when I got all the fitness apparel and I put it on, it made me feel amazing. Like I was in the gym and I was like, okay, I'm ready to just like get this workout in. Um, <laughs> but that feeling that I had, like, I was just excited. I felt good. Like in my clothing, I was just ready to go. I knew that I wanted to duplicate that feeling over and over and over again for women. And so for that, I was like, okay, I'm going to, let's go the active wear route. But then I also realized that the active wear athleisure like world, once again, you know, black women, you know, were there, but kind of like sprinkled in there. Right. Um, it wasn't, I didn't, I didn't feel like it was like black women were thinking about you. You know, we we're, when we pick colors, we're we're thinking about your skin tones. You know, we're not just mm -hmm. thinking about it after the fact or thinking about it because you know somebody blasted blasted the brand on on Instagram. Right. Yeah. So, so, so I so at that point I knew okay I'm doing active wear. Um, and so then it started. Now I had to think of a name. Um, so initially the brand was called Gola Gal. Um, and that connection Gola uh, my my maternal grandmother is Liberian um, and she's from the Gola tribe. And I really, really wanted to commemorate her in some way. Um, mm -hmm. Cause my, my mom just raised me like so many stories about my grandmother, never met her. Um, but with all the stories that she told me, like I truly like felt the essence of like the, who this woman is, is like what the brand needs to consist of. Um, and so, and so that's where Gola gal came from Gola from, her tribe and then gal because I was focused on women. Um, and so that was, that was good, you know, starting off, you know, it was a slow climb, but then I realized expansion wise, um, that name wasn't going to expand the way I wanted it to. Um, and so it was back to the drawing board, um, with a lot of resistance. <laughs> I know <laughs> it's powerful. And, or also sentimental. So how hard was it to part with the name? Um, it was, it was very hard at first because for me, once again, I didn't even see the name Rome, Rome loud. Like it, it hadn't, it wasn't even in fruition in my mind or anything. So for me, I was just like, what, like what, what's going to come next? Like I could not imagine what it would be. Um, because once again, I had put so much thought into Olegal. Um, but once again, you know, talking to my tribe and really, you know, expressing like how I'm feeling and, and it just, it, once they told me like, look, Toyin, you, you know, you've, this brand has only been in existence for a year. This is a better situation than six years from now. And you're realizing like, Hey, I got to start all, start all over. Your packaging, all your yes. <laughs> yes. So you know, I did some deep breathing and, and thinking for a week and I was like, okay, let me, you know, let's, 
let's forego the name and, you know, let's rebrand. Um, and so I spent probably another two weeks, like, like brainstorming every name, word, anything I could think of the essence of what I wanted the brand to be about, just talking about it over and over. Like, what is like, like, what do you want from this? Like, I, uh, I literally submerged myself in this like brainstorm session. I remember being on the road one time to DC <laughs> coming from DC, like talking out loud with my sister about, um, what, what this name could be. Um, and then it, it started like put the little, the pieces started coming together. So, uh, my mom, her name is Amanda. And so the first two, I took the first two letters of her name, A and M. Um, and I just, you know, put that down. And then my mom would talk a lot about, um, one of her brothers, like this, she had a, like, a, I, I wouldn't say a favorite, but a well-loved brother. <laughs> um, and his name was Romeo. And she, that was, you know, that's an uncle that I, once again, I never met him, but, um, her heart was just so connected to him, even, you know, though, you know, they're on different continents. And so I took RO and put it together and then it, you know, Rome appeared and I'm like, okay, you know, this is, this is making sense because, you know, I have two important people in my lives that I've added onto this piece of paper and Rome also is an actual word, you know, um, if so, if we're talking about what does roaming mean? Um, and so thinking of roaming and navigating and wandering through the world and then thinking about how I want women to feel, um, in our clothing, feel about our brand, you know, our messaging and everything, you know, like that. When connecting, Rome Loud just ended up connecting. I don't even know where Loud came from. I think it literally just popped in my head and I was like, Rome Loud. And I was like, this makes absolute sense. Like this, this is perfect. And so I remember just writing it down. I was like, Rome Loud, Rome Loud. I think I got it. I think this is. Hold on, you're frozen a little bit. Um, so I think we, when was it? Was Hold it? on. What did you, um, can you repeat what you just said? You were, you're breaking up. I don't know if it's on my end. My internet was wilding a couple minutes ago. Am I back? Okay. You are. Okay. Yes. So what were you saying? Well, I don't know what the last thing. You finished. I you just finished talking about selecting the name Rome Loud, and you don't oh. know where the Loud came from. Yeah. So once Loud at Rome Loud and, and that was connected, I wrote it down, um, and I sat on it, and I knew then that that was it. And so we did uh, our rebrand during the pandemic. Actually, um, I think it was like in March. March. I think it was around like March or April. We switched over, and I was super scared. <laughs> Because I had no idea what the reception was going to be about it, but um, it was the best decision I made. That's awesome. Yes, especially now that people want to work out in their own homes, they need gear. Yeah, that's lit. You yeah. know, what's crazy is I feel like the brand's been around for a while, mm -hmm. but I think that's because of the power of marketing because it keeps popping up on my feed, feed yeah. on Facebook or Instagram. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean you launched in March? I knew about this brand five years ago. <laughs> yes. So the, the, the hard work in marketing is, is paying off. <laughs> so where did you get, do you have somebody on your team who's lead marketing? How, how are you getting your name out there? Um, so first I was doing everything on my own. <laughs> um, that was uh, the first. And now I do have someone on my team who's helping um, literally guide me, creating uh questions that I need to be asking. We have a running doc that's coming um, with, you know, who do you want to see like in your pieces? Where do you want to see it? It just basically it's like this dream sheet of publications and everything. Um, and so we just have it all there. And so we're just tackling that week by week. Um, I will say the biggest, biggest push for us um, just was the support of uh, celebrating um, small black owned businesses mm -hmm. over the past few months. I think that that has been majorly helpful um, because it's not just smaller publications and just people talking about it, but now you have big brands um, that are like, hey, let's support too. Um, and so that's helping because obviously they have a bigger platform. And so, you know, when they're talking about Run Loud, you know, 
then everybody's like, hey, what is this about? Right. Yeah. So I, I and then we so we were recently featured on um, HuffPost, and that was probably it's probably going to be about a month now um, since that that it was like top seven brands to work out in. Yeah. Major. Yeah. That was that was definitely major. Um, we had a huge response from it. Uh, I think our, our store was basically uh, sold out after that publication, so it was good. Yes. <laughs> So, uh, you know, before, before I get into how you select your gear and how, you know, that whole process, mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about the Black Lives Matter induced kind of marketing frenzy that's happening with these bigger brands. Mm-hmm. And I know, and I know a lot of, a lot of entrepreneurs right now are able to benefit from it, but do you have a fear of, of that, um, that atmosphere dissipating and companies having to revert back to you know, putting a lot of money into their marketing budgets way more than before. Absolutely. Um, in my mind, I feel like this is all temporary. And, and I don't know if that's negative um, to look at it that way. But, and I say that because Black people have already known about Black-owned brands. You know, this, but this movement has allowed us to learn about more. But we, that has never been something that we weren't aware of. You know, like, we, you know, everyone has their favorite black owned beauty brand or lotions or whatever. Um, I think it's we've always known that. Um, but I think it's new for a lot of the majority white owned publications um, and platforms. I think, you know, oftentimes we were ignored. Um, but now. Now they're being held responsible um, with showing up and saying, well, okay, if you're saying that you care about black lives and black businesses, then what are you going to do to, to really push that? So because, you know, uh, people are questioning them, they're, they're pushing that more or trying to make an effort. Some, some better than others. Um, but I think for me, I'm navigating this movement right now, um, that this is not going to be forever. Um, and I will, you know, take advantage of, of of platforms that are saying like, "Hey, we want to talk about you," but I'm not um, putting all my eggs in that basket. You know, because one thing a lot of small black-owned brands have talked about is when these movements um, start, and you know, when people are being exposed to smaller brands, you'll have those one buys. You know, like, "Oh, hey, I'm going to support," and you buy a legging or two. But will you buy a legging six months from now? Right. You know, um, or will you buy makeup from a company six months from now? Eh, I'm not holding my breath. You know what I mean? So um, so for me, I'm definitely moving in a, a very strategic way in, in, in the sense of I have these opportunities, but I still need to have my solid way of marketing outside right. of that um, because I don't want to be in a situation where I'm so comfortable in, in this that when it goes away, I'm like, hey, like, what do I do now? Um, for me, like this brand is something that will grow 20 years from now, you know, where it, Rome Loud is going to be a name that people know that, oh, that's what you're wearing. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, I'm familiar with them. So I can't, I can't base anything off of like the hype that's happening. Right. Yeah. So the best, what, what, what's your advice for an entrepreneur who's benefiting from it? Um, what's your advice for them to have to best position themselves? Mm-hmm. For, for the long term I mean I would tell any small business owner absolutely milk the shit out of all the opportunities that are you know being presented to you but definitely sit down whether it's with a friend or by yourself actually don't sit down with anyone do your research you know and do your research on marketing if you have to take a marketing class because you don't know where to begin, take a marketing class. You know, I've actually taken, taken a Facebook ads course um, and spent a nice pretty penny on that. I'm not saying that you need to do that because YouTube University has more than enough information for you. Um, so definitely educate yourself um, on like how to uh, market your brand, how to create a press kit, a media kit. There are so there's so much information now more than ever before with how to start a business. I think that you should literally just go to night school and and do that. Meaning night school on your laptop. Um, 
And then, you know, create a plan of, you know, let's say, okay, so let's say we're speaking about apparel, you know, kind of looking at the year ahead and thinking, okay, what holidays or what events can I plan for around your store? Um, Black Friday is coming up. Uh, Cyber Monday is coming up. Um, you have an advantage because a lot of stores may not be open like they once were um, this year. Um, and also with the crowds and all of that, a lot of um, big businesses are kind of shifting focus on what they're even going to do for Black Friday. So it's like, okay, Cyber Monday, how am I going to push my own brand during that? And I'm not saying for you to go and slash all your prices solely because it's Black Friday. Um, there are very creative ways that you can you know, benefit from Black Friday, even if you did some type of, even if you did one giveaway. You know, and this is, and you can do this through, you know, share this picture and tag that in itself is marketing, you know, and instead of slashing all your prices for, you know, your items, you're focusing on just one, that's one, you know, loss. And that's probably going to be even cheaper than what you would spend, you know, for paying an influencer or Facebook ads or anything like that. Um, so I definitely think do your research. And you can you use YouTube University and and Google trust and believe even Instagram. There's so many influencers right now that are because they want to discuss you know how to stay during you know stay afloat during this time. Absolutely, that that's one hundred facts. Yes, uh, especially the 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 major key about the Black Friday. And making sure that you uh, strategize and mobilize around those major holidays. Absolutely. They will, I mean, they will be looking. Yes. Yes. And that's the thing. It's like, you know, everyone's looking at that time to buy, even if it's buy one item. Right. Um, if, you, if you move strategically, even in your own circle, you could end up with a sale. And one sale is better than none. So well, another thing that, that's coming to mind is a lot of black businesses just don't succeed. Mm -hmm. And that's because of funding, but yeah. sometimes it's because, well, they don't have, we don't have the ability to get the internal, the infrastructure. Cause like you were working, what we're working a full-time job. Some people have kids. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I want to say to take advantage of this opportunity is if you have an influx of cash, you reinvest it into your infrastructure. Absolutely. So that some of the reasons why black businesses don't succeed don't happen to you. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, I mean, we're at a disadvantage. You know, yeah. we don't we don't come from most of us don't have general generational wealth to rely on. Um, so yeah, it's super important to reinvest that money. All the money I make goes right back into the business. Um, and yeah, we need to keep doing that. Um, and granted, you know, there's other hurdles. Investors, you know, might not be looking at you. Scaling is you right. know be tough. Um, that stuff all requires money. But I think for me, I, I just always tell people, like, just keep going, you know, and keep moving that money back in right. um, and even taking small steps in scaling. It doesn't have to be massive. You don't have to be, for me, I'm not going from, you know, my house to a warehouse overnight. Like you have to, you know, slowly get there. Okay. So oh, yeah, just push through. Facts. And also this is the best time to crowdfund. Like yep. if, <laughs> yeah. if, you, if you want to keep taking advantage of this ride, crowdfund, it's the like, look into it. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen a lot, um, a lot, a lot of, of even people independently crowd crowdfunding for other people. Um, I saw, I saw, uh, somebody raising money for black women, um, own brands, you know, and they didn't even have a brand. So yeah. <laughs> trying to help from outside the club. I love it. Yes. I was like, <laughs> you love to see it. Okay. Um, but the sinister part of me is like, Scammer! <laughs> uh, and that's, an, yeah, that's, oh my gosh, that's one that I'm always, I have to, you know, do some research, like, okay, are you really, you know, raising money, or are you just trying? So, the thing is, like, we've been swindled by so many armed in, you know, armors that lead us to believe that they're good. <laughs> Red Cross. Yeah, oh, I don't mean to be shady, but it comes with the podcast for free. <laughs> yes, no, that's true. But, um, so, um, so I'm, we can shift gears real quick to yeah. your other life. Yes. Um, to talk about the work that you do, um, in the court system. Yeah. And so when we, when we talked in preparation for this podcast, we were talking about how, um, lack of access or access to resources 
post-incarceration or instead of incarceration, mm-hmm. how that will, can really help the what we're seeing in our um, in our prisons. Yeah. So, uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, I'll say right off the bat, it's tough. You know, so I, there's been many many times where I've had a client where I set up um, services after they were supposed to be released. And I actually wondered like, okay, if I weren't here, what would have happened? Like, how would this have all worked out? Um, even when I think about applications that you need to fill out or even waiting lists, you know, I've, I've scheduled uh, indi- um, individual therapy sessions for a client and the, the wait list is three to six months. Um, so it's tough. Um, but, some, I'll, once again, I'll say some areas are better than others, um, even in Massachusetts and probably Rhode Island as well. I'm more familiar with, with Massachusetts and South Coast because that's you know where my office is. But services for clients after they're released is just not enough. Um, and for me, it, it really makes me sad with how do you expect someone to be a citizen, like, you know, a respectful citizen, uh, whatever citizen you need them to be, if you don't have, if they don't have the tools to do so. Right. And let's talk about what's really happening as well. So we have a judicial system that pumps so many people in jail because they have mental health issues. Right. Our prison system is not a holding cell for someone who needs a therapist. Right. We can't really be providing people these resources instead of policing them the way that we are. Absolutely. And so that's step one. Step two, they, they come out of jail. Right, they've paid their their price to society. Mm-hmm. They're staying, right? No one wants to buy them. No one wants to to hire them. Right, come out with so much debt. If they have professional licenses, those are taken away because they weren't doing what they needed to do. Interest is piling up. No jobs. Yep. What option do they have right. but to do something? You know, to to survive. Right, so it really irritates me. And so this is why your job is so important. What you're doing is so important. But you're like you're telling us it's not the easiest thing because there aren't enough resources. No, I mean, oftentimes I say I feel like I'm a magician <laughs> because I'm trying to create something that doesn't exist mm-hmm. right now, um, and it's unfortunate. But I always make it my point that any client you know that, that hits my my desk, especially because a lot of these these clients look could be uh, my dad or my brother or you know, my homegirl from high school, I I always tell myself that I'm going to, I have to figure it out. I don't know how, but I have to find a way, something, anything. Um, I feel like it's better than nothing at all. So what has being in this particular job, and I don't know what you did before, mm-hmm. talk about empathizing with people with criminal records. Because if you will, if you watch the news and watch television, mm-hmm. don't, don't be believing that you got Freddy Krueger in there. Oh, that Krueger, Krueger. Don't judge me. I'm I'm an immigrant. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, they paint our clients to be, you know, terrible people. I am not saying in any way, shape or form that some, not all of my clients may have done something that is against the law. But one thing that I have the opportunity to discover that many people don't and or even the media tends to skip and ignore, especially for black people, is their story behind whatever that crime was. And I'm saying uh, breaking and entering, something like that. It's like, how were you, you know, what was your life like as a child? You know, there's stories that I've heard where I'm just like, this isn't, this isn't how a child should live like and this is this is sad like you know kids that don't have their parents around or they're bouncing around from you know one foster home to another foster home and then you're dealing with you know shitty foster parents um you have school systems that fail kids every single day um so for me it's i don't find it hard to empathize with my clients and i don't find it hard to for compassion or any of that when I meet with my clients, like I literally go in there, um, and I, when I say go in there, I mean if they are in jail, I go in to see them and talk to them, and I'm I'm just there to learn their story, 
no judgment-free zone. And I tell them that all the time because sometimes even they get a little embarrassed and they're like, wow, you know, you probably think X, Y, and Z of me. And I'm like, no, um, I'm just here. I'm just here to listen and to write down this information and then to provide whatever help that I can provide. Um, it's, it's not strange that for that I, if that I'm teary eyed when I'm talking to a client, because I like, I get it. I might not have walked that same exact path as them, but I can understand like why you're in the situation you're in. I can see that you want change or you want more for your life, but you just might not know how to do that. Might not have the tools. Right. Um, I remember I had a client that told me that she felt like she was sitting in a house and everything was just burning around her. Like that's how, you know, helpless at the time she felt. Um, and I totally understood that. And, and I told her, I'm like, well, we're going to figure this out. You know, one, one session at a time. If you have to come to my office once a week well, and, well. and discuss like what you need this week, we're going to do that. Granted, she's in a much, much better place than she was when I first met her. But yeah, compassion, empathy, that, that's not hard for me. There, don't get me wrong. There might be other social workers and or attorneys that they don't, that connection isn't there. But for me, I, there, there's no way that I can see, especially see a black person across from me and hear their story and not feel, you know, some sense of, you know, compassion for them. Right. So. I don't know what your background is with spirituality. I know we talked a little bit about um, uh, astrology. Mm -hmm. But for me, I think if people were to say what my religion is, I would say it's love. And mm -hmm. I do love from a logical perspective, right? Mm -hmm. For me, the entire universe is like an ocean. Yeah. I am a drop of water within the ocean. Mm -hmm. Everything within the ocean is within me. Everything within that drop of water, that's in the, it's within me. That means that there's not a single person on the planet that I am not like or that I do not have the capacity and potential to end up being like. If I take that person and I expel them, that's not love. That love, it, like the opposite of love isn't hate, it's fear, and fear excludes. So yeah. if I can't take you in by understanding your perspective, saying, hmm, you might have robbed somebody, but let me look at what brought you to that point so I can see how I could have potentially brought you to that point and show you some love and compassion, take you in, and say you're not a bad person, you're me. If I had parents who didn't love me, you're Absolutely. me. If my brain wasn't wired the right way, you're me. I see you. Yes. And we are too stuck on who we are. Like I'm this person. I'm, I'm Lori. I'm a lawyer. I'm this. I could not possibly ever be this. That's bullshit. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I always say that I'm privileged. I'm privileged to have been raised in a two parent household. I'm privileged to have parents that, literally said um you are going to college there's no if answer but not everybody has that yep. so yeah i mean i that could be me could uh, be. yeah life life can change in an instant so no i i completely agree with that all facts <laughs> right it's but i think people have these concepts of like they're so it's because people have so much stuck in their subconscious mm -hmm. you know you have like your shadow self which is the aspect of yourself that you will not admit like, if you do something and you get really angry, you're like, that wasn't Lori. That was an angry Lori. Like, yo, who, then who was that B? Because <laughs> she had a hat on. She, you know, that was you. Right. So, so many people like to like to leave things in the shadow and not deal with the dark aspects of themselves that they, they just kind of, they won't, they, by looking at someone who's committed something heinous, they're looking at themselves, but they refuse to see themselves. Mm -hmm. So they hate it because they hate that part of themselves as well. Woo! Yeah. Ugh. Superiority, elitism, it's all of that. It's all yeah. about love. I feel like I'm losing you a little. Am I back? Yes, you are. Yeah. I was saying that it's it's all about love. Yes. Um, so so I what's the biggest challenge to your job right now? To my job as in the my social work? Yeah, yeah. Is um, it resources? Is it I'll say resources for one. Um, and then during this pandemic makes it even more complicated because some resources are not available as they once were. But absolutely resources and then the time frame for them. You know, sometimes I get an appointment, but as I mentioned prior, that 
that appointment is so far out that, right. you know, you could lose a client, lose as in lose contact with them uh, during that time frame. Um, I would, I would love if we could invest more money into resources. <laughs> I would love it. So, you know, Big Mama's in the cannabis industry. Mm -hmm. And we talked about how uh, every marijuana business has to have this thing called uh, a positive impact plan, mm -hmm. where they go into one of 29 neighborhoods that the state has deemed to be an area that has been most impacted by the war on drugs, uh, drug, particular marijuana, okay. and economically empower that place. So they could hire from it, they could see, they could um, invest in local communities. This is something that I think the cannabis industry needs to get behind. Absolutely. So if we were like, and, and I think, you know, all companies who's, who's in here needs to be providing support to people who've been to prison, especially knowing that so many of the people in prison are in there for marijuana yes. and so many of them are in there just for possession. Yes. It starts to put things into perspective for you. Mm. So, and I know I talked about it a little bit when I, when we talked, but how are some ways that you think that the cannabis industry could funnel some resources and support? those individuals um, needing needing that kind of help i mean is jobs a possibility well jobs are a possibility but there are some uh restrictions okay okay which is ridiculous mm -hmm. i will repeat it again if somebody has paid their price you either trust them or you don't right <laughs> oh what are some other ways let's see stop letting out the the, the rapist in three months and then maybe you'll be okay right I got shady. I told him to shady. <laughs> I don't mind it at all. <laughs> I don't mind it. Maybe, maybe I'm thinking, maybe some type of funding. Um, let's see. Actually, I mean, you could do even it's. It could even be in simple ways. For example, one of the big things that I deal with, and I don't even have an answer for it at this point, is when my clients are released and they don't have anywhere to go, and mm. the shelves are also full. And I've had clients that say, you know what, I'm just going to sleep in the park. Hmm. I think. And then in the park, and then the police finds them. Right. And you start all over again. So I think even something simply like providing temporary shelter. Um, there are rooming houses that exist. I'm not sure if you heard of the words like somebody, a private citizen, will rent a house and then they rent each room um, for a couple hundred dollars. I mean, there are a lot of these rooming houses that are fine and people, you know, some people can afford them, but others can't. If you're coming from jail and you may or may not have a job or a savings account before going in there, it, you don't have three, four, five, six hundred dollars for a rooming house. Mm -hmm. um, so I think some type of shelter would be helpful. Um, maybe even some type of like transportation system. Mm -hmm. And I say simply, it doesn't even have to be once they're released, but even transportation, offering it from the jail to a place. Right. Times gets complicated. If wow. they have, depending on where they're in jail and where they live, um, and if they have to follow up maybe with a probation officer or something after they leave, transportation to that. Um, even cell phones. I sometimes don't have any contact with my clients unless they drop by in the office. Right. And there are no, there, and there, there aren't any, uh, pay phones anymore. No. So it's like, how, how do you talk? How can you communicate? Right. Right. And, but, and, and I can communicate with them when they happen to drop by, but I have no idea when that will be. Wow. Um, so maybe even something as simple as that. Um, we could definitely wor work on all of those and the cell phones. It's something that people don't even think about. Right. I don't think, and, and these are the kinds of solutions we need to be putting in front of the legislature. And the companies, because yeah. they're doing basic things. Right. I don't think they're getting to the core of some of the real impacts that took place because of this the brutal way that they were, like, hoarding these people off to prison. Right. Right. Yeah, no, we can definitely have a conversation offline. You know, obviously, that was just me thinking off the top of my head. I'm pretty sure, most likely sure, there's so many more right deeper ways, you know, to really help them. Um, so I'm um, yeah I'm down definitely down. It's lit. Yes, but um this is this has been amazing so far. Um, you, what's crazy is every time I start getting excited and I say this in my podcast, 
people think that I'm like logging off. I'm like, I'm not, peeps. I'm just acknowledging that this is good. And the lit. Okay? Yes. Because so, I spent a lot of time thinking about the prison system because of my involvement in the cannabis industry. Mm-hmm. And I, recently I've been called to um, provide my voice on some of the reforms that we need. And housing was a big one. How do we provide support to people just living, just leaving uh, prison? So housing, food budget. I didn't even think about the cell phone, clothing to go on interviews. Absolutely, it's it's so much. We're just full blown reparations. But people, and and this is in the marijuana space. I say full blown reparations for one main reason. Reparation. The key word is repairing. Mm -hmm. In 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 America, there's tort law. If I go and I break your leg, you have the right to sue me for me to make you whole, right? Because right. that was wrong. So we as a society, we said the way that we were enforcing our marijuana laws was wrong. We hurt you. Absolutely. So we have to be made whole. And I don't even have to say me because I didn't grow up here. But these, these individuals who've been harmed, especially the ones with records, that needs to be repaired. And that reparation needs to be in a dollar amount. That, I, I support it. I don't know. I feel like she radical. It's just, I, I just feel when it comes to, you know, our government, who the people sitting in these seats, they don't care. You know, they don't, they don't care. They don't, for them, none of that matters. They will literally drag their feet. And even right. Democrats, like, I, you know, I, and for me, I don't even believe in the, oh, the Democrats are for us. And no, like none of that matters. You know, so the people that are really like two wings on one bird, B. <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. I just feel like the people that are making decisions for us, as much as I totally agree with that being something that needs to happen, I can't see them agreeing. That that's uh, I just but you know what? This is where marijuana is a little different. Okay. And that's because the local municipalities have a lot of say. Mm-hmm. Every city gets at least gets up to three percent taxes for the city. And they get an additional up to 3% direct impact fee. And that's a fee that they say, you know, should, that they get for the cost of the business being there. But 3% taxes, how about half of that goes to repairing schools and and welcoming people who just get, so that's something you and I can get a hundred people roll up to your mayor's office and say, this is what we want. And Mm -hmm. the money gets changed. So sometimes in these conversations, we think about this big government and we don't realize that these are these are people in our communities who need your vote and we don't like looking back and in black lives matter i wish you would say i'm not giving money to people who've been harmed by the 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 wrong marijuana knowing what's happening with all the people making millions off of it right so i think we need to really identify our power and mobilize because we can do this you you, you're providing mad solutions (sighs) and they're doable they are i don't think they're not that hard you know, and you know the millionaires may—they could still run off with their with their money, but for us, it's not that hard. Yeah, yeah. It's all starting within. Start within our communities. Like even simple things that we could be doing that are human. Sending a letter to somebody who's in prison for mar- You know, you don't have to pick a murder if that's exciting. Right. <laughs> you know, send it to a kid who's like sixteen who made some bad decisions, and right. send a book. Right. Like send them psycho cybernetics that costs you five bucks. Right. There's and so much we could be doing. It, it, and when you think about, and, and so that's the thing with people that might not be aware of who is in our jails, because when I think about who's in our jails, maybe it's maybe because I come in contact with them so much mm-hmm. that most of the time I'm not dealing with people with, you know, murder charges. Like I'm dealing with, you know, small offenses. Yep. And those are the people that are there doing six months or doing a year or even a month, literally. Right. Or there's people sitting in jail right now that haven't had their case heard yet, but they just can't pay, you know, to, to bail themselves out. They can't pay massa for freedom. Right. Yo, this system pisses me off, bro. Like, on so, so many levels. Also, we should have bail funds. Marijuana, if somebody's in jail right now for a, uh, any kind of charge, are they still wilding? Bail them out. There and there is a bail fund for Massachusetts. Let's pour more money into it. Absolutely, because it's crazy. Yeah, you you haven't even been found guilty. That's it. You're you're waiting, just literally waiting. 
Man. And sometimes the bail amounts are not high. This is $100, $150 that, you know, unfortunately a person can't pay or they don't, or they, they, don't, they don't know anyone that could put the money up for them. $100. Yeah. People are getting traumatized for $100. Breaks my heart. That's what happens when you put money before lives. Right. Uh, man. But we're going to change that because the whole goal of this podcast, these conversations, and I think our incarnation in this time-space reality is for us to radiate our light. But what happens when light is in a space? It causes things to move a little bit faster, right? It illuminates things for people. And then people have a choice. Right. To decide, are you going to go with the light or are you going to choose darkness? You can choose both, which is what I've done. But you got, but you got, you got to know who you are. <laughs> I love that's a real answer. <laughs> I love the real answer. Well, let me tell you why. The thing is, anything that is amazing is protected, right? You're awesome. God, you, you have skin, don't you? Mm-hmm. You have, you have all these methods. You have antibodies. Yeah. People, people want to make, make you all docile so they can run you over. But you've got to understand everything that needs to be protected has an army. So you got to be your own army. That's how Big Mama don't play. She she can tap into the darkness, sprinkle it in, and then go and meditate and, and lose all, and be okay with it. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we're, we're, the force, we're creating groups. You know, we're organizing. Um, we're building. So that's, that's what makes it. Yeah and seeing that everyone is organizing and building and fighting in their own ways you know not everybody's on the front lines you know right just financially supporting you know some people are writing policies and you know writing letters but i think we're all doing it i think it's yep. more right now um so it's good to see you know the fire has been fueled so we changed it we, we, we're not going back to anything we we no. previously knew absolutely not no it can't happen yeah and I think it's crazy because it's kind of like being you referencing a fire in the middle of a storm. When I was younger, I really liked storms mm-hmm. because there's something about chaos that's kind of soothing. Because chaos lets me know this is as bad as it's gonna get. Okay. Right. Yes. <laughs> you know, when you're in the midst of chaos, you're like, okay, it's already chaotic. Like, what? What the hell do I have to worry about? We're in the middle of it, so I might as well try to enjoy every bit of enjoyment I can have. Yeah, you gotta if you, if that's that silver lining that you see. It, I, I always say, you know, it doesn't rain forever. Then it's facts. Yeah. Man. So this has been awesome. Um, I had mad fun. I know our listeners are going to have mad fun. Yeah. Do you have any message, anything that you want to impart on these folks? The message of Rome Loud is navigate the world boldly. So I just think that everyone, man or woman, non-binary, continue to do that, to push through. Life is not easy. You know, we have our ups and our downs, but push through. Boldly. Ooh, y'all better push. <laughs> y'all better push. All right, thank you so much for coming. This yeah. is lit. I had a good time. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Big Mama, out. <laughs> That's how I know when to cut it. But okay. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay, so we're, okay, this is where it's done. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's my cue. <laughs>